Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers, and the countdown is is underway. We are on the way to Election Day 2020, and uh, what a what a what a year! And no better time to have our friend Brad Crone back with us. Brad is the president of Campaign Connections, that puts him in the role of being a uh, consultant to politicians and also advocacy groups. And uh, he has been with us a number of times. Back when he had good sense, he actually worked at WPTF. And, and then later on, uh, was a publisher of newspapers. And uh, then he sort of lost his way and, and became a political consultant. Uh, Brad, I guess strange things happen to us all. They sure do. Lightning strikes twice, I reckon. But it's good to be back. And wow, what an election cycle we have seen this year. Holy it, smokes. Um Don, it is unlike anything I have seen. I've been following politics since, really, since 1972, when I was old enough to understand it. And um, I, I hearken back to the 80-84 election cycle, trying to find trend lines here in North Carolina, and they don't even hold up. You know, Jimmy Carter was an anchor president hurting down ballot. This president is an anchor president. He is hurting his party, but we're not seeing coattails on that anchor. Uh, an example is we're seeing professional Republicans in Cabarrus County, for example, go into the polling booths and vote for Joe Biden and Tom Tillis and then Roy Cooper. So the votes all over the place. I don't think you can trust any poll at this point in time. We're going to have to wait for the poll results on, on election night and the following days after. And then, too, we are having uh, this uh, tremendous amount of early voting this year, which is entirely different from anything we've ever seen before. Um, part of that is because of the uh, situations we find ourselves in regard to COVID-19. But part of it is, I think, just uh, the evolving election process where it's just so much uh, easier to vote uh, either by absentee ballot or by mail or by early voting. Absolutely. And we're seeing record turnout. Uh, almost 2.2 million North Carolinians have already cast their ballot. So that's almost a third of the anticipated votes. I think we're going to see record turnout in this election. I think we'll see uh, in the rural and suburban counties across North Carolina turnouts around 70, 71 percent. And in the metropolitan regions in Raleigh, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, Fayetteville, and Charlotte, we're going to see turnouts as high as 74, 75%. So people are engaged, they are energized, they are polarized in how they're looking at this election, and they're going to the polls and letting their voices be heard. Now, we had the second and final presidential uh, debate this week, and it was indeed more of a debate, uh, more civil. Uh, what, uh, what are your observations from that, uh, from that debate uh, as we look at it now in hindsight? Well, in hindsight, I think President Trump did what he had to do. He had to go in there and be a little calmer a little more presidential. He was able to accomplish that. I think he was able to land some uh, good attack lines on the counter. Joe Biden did what he needed to do to stand there and to parse back any attacks. I think he was able to do that, especially when President Trump attacked him on China. He was able to turn that effectively 
uh, back on to the president regarding his income taxes. I think both of them did respectively well. Neither one of them took a knockout punch. I would call the, the debate a push. And I question whether or not it's going to be enough to help Trump rewrite the ship. Nationally, Trump's in trouble. But Don, as we all know, national polls don't make any difference because we elect our president on a state-by-state -state electoral college basis. So I think you have to go back and look at the performance of where the race is in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, in North Carolina, in Florida, and in Arizona as well as in Iowa. And, um, you, you know, the president is, is back in the state Saturday uh, down in Roberson County. He was in Gaston County in your old uh, haunting grounds earlier this week. He had 25,000 people show up at the Gaston Municipal Airport. Some people walked as far as two and a half to three miles where they parked their cars to walk up to see the president. So I don't think that, that you can discount uh, the power of the Trump presidency. I don't, you know, a lot of people are saying there's a blue wave coming, there's a tsunami coming, there may be a ripple, but I think it's going to be a lot of ticket splitting in North Carolina in particular. Like I said, we're seeing trend lines where voters are, are really picking and choosing up and down the ballot from the presidential ballot all the way down to the state legislative ballot. And, of course, the Council of State uh, also looks like the same kind of situation. Right. And so we've seen polling data, external and internal polling data, basically validating that, where Trump may, have, may be down. Trump's in the margin of error. The latest polls that I've seen um, have Biden up one and a half points, two points in the state. Tom Tillis is 47-47. That race has tightened up over the last two weeks because of the controversy surrounding uh, Democrat challenger Cal Cunningham. The governor has maintained a consistent lead. It's down from his 11-point high at the 1st of August to about a 7-point. The lieutenant governor's race is a dead-even, dead race right now. Elaine Marshall has a substantial lead in her race, long-term Secretary of State. The North Carolina Commissioner of Agriculture is the strongest Council of State candidate with almost a 10-point lead in the polls that I've been seeing. But interesting enough, the State Treasurer and the State Insurance Commissioner are both maintaining leads just outside the margin of error in their races, while the Superintendent of, Ra uh, Superintendent of Public Instruction race, which is uh, an open seat this year, is a dead heat. The Commissioner of Labor race between Jessica Holmes and Wake County and Josh Dobson out of Surrey County, uh, another dead heat statistical, I mean, it's within basically tied at 45-45. So there, there are a lot of races. Beth Wood, for example, is up eight points in her race for state auditor. So it's all over the map. And that's the really interesting dynamic in this campaign. We're seeing voters, you know, North Carolina eliminated the straight ticket ballot in 2012. And so that really forces the voter to go through and, and vote for the candidate in which they support and which they like. And that's going to lead to a lot of dynamic election results, as, as y'all report on Tuesday night and then later in the week. And later on in the program, we're going to go down uh, by uh, district, uh, by congressional district, uh, and look at each of those congressional districts because 
Some of those are also tightening up, uh, some a little bit more so than uh, it was first thought. Absolutely. And then um, just the dynamics of the voters that you're looking at. Statistically, Don, the Republicans have had an advantage. When you look at the 2016 election results in North Carolina, the president enjoyed almost a 99,000 vote victory. Senator Burr had a 228,000 vote uh, differentiation. And excuse me, 133,852 vote advantage for Senator Burr in the 2016 U.S. Senate race. Uh, President Clinton had 102,000 vote advantage in the presidential. And then the gubernatorial race was a 10,000 vote advantage for the Democrats. Structurally, the Republicans have held a turnout advantage in the major television markets, with the exception of the Raleigh Durham Fayetteville market. And the Raleigh-Durham-Fayetteville market is the single strongest base for the Democrats. So when, when you look at the turnout, when you look at the structural, abstract, historical voter performance numbers in the state of North Carolina, the Republicans have had a, a statistical advantage. And so that's, that's going to be really interesting to see. Um, I continue to say all the races are going to be super competitive. I believe that you're looking at a point to a point and a half differentiation in most of the statewide races across North Carolina simply because of that. Two factors that you're going to have to watch in this election are going to be African-American voter performance. And will the African-American voter performance hit 22.5% like it did in 2008 under President Obama? Then another interesting uh, voter statistic to watch out for, there are almost 200,000 new white evangelical registered Republicans in the state since November of 2018. They've never voted before in a presidential election. Will they turn out? Will they get out and perform? As you know, in 2016, Trump picked up almost 80,000 new voters in the state, and that helped propel him to that 102,000 vote margin where he won North Carolina by. Very quickly, I want to go back to the uh, presidential debate. It seems that uh, President Trump really hit hard on the Hunter Biden controversy. Does that, is that issue resonating with the voters? Uh, I'm not sure as a casual observer of it, I quite understand his fascination with that particular uh, maybe uh, uh, element in the election. What uh, is that uh, showing up in any of the research? I'm not seeing it. I think it just is a sullying point on the vice president and allows President Trump to deflect on issues that he was concerned about, whether it was his tax returns and, and the discovery this week by the New York Times that he has been doing business with uh, the Chinese government and working in China. And, you know, the president announced Thursday night that he'd had a checking account, business account in China since 2013. So I think that all comes out in the wash. The biggest issue that I think Americans are going to be looking at, too, in particular, will be the coronavirus management. How do we stop the spread of this deadly virus? And then what do we have in place to rebuild and reboot our economy? Our guest is Brad Crone, political consultant and frequent guest on our program. And we'll be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. 
He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. And my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. If you love them enough to sit through their favorite boy band with them, then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Brad Crone. Uh, we have, of course, we're focusing totally on the upcoming election. Uh, the countdown is on. We're in the, the final stretch, and we've already established in the first segment what a strange year it is. And the remainder of the programs, we're going to start looking at the individual races a little bit more, especially uh, the congressional districts as well as the Council of State positions, which Brad touched on briefly. Brad, one of the things that came up this week also was the, the possibility of the influence of foreign governments, particularly Russia, um, in, in the election process. Um, it seems that there, that this issue has been brought up, but it also seems to me that most people feel on both sides of the aisle or both sides of the issue that it's probably not going to be uh, a big issue. What's your feeling? Um, it's a real big problem that we have. The allegation was that Iraq and Russia have obtained voter files and are doing uh, matches to the voter file to obtain emails and then cell phone numbers to deliver text messages to. And in our society, we're very transparent. You can go to the North Carolina Board of Elections and pull down, <coughs> excuse me, pull down the voter file. And then if you've got a database of emails, you can match the emails to uh, the, the data base from the State Board of Elections. There are other vendor groups, there are numerous vendors across the country actually selling the data where um, they can get emails and cell phone numbers. And so it's just extremely difficult to police. And that's why it's even that more imperative, Don, that our national security infrastructure does everything they can, take every step appropriate 
to try and protect any outside interference. So I welcome the alert. I think it's appropriate for Americans to understand that not necessarily every single email you get, you, 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 you shouldn't believe. You should be very wary and very conscious of the people and the organizations that are sending emails, especially this time of the year in the late into the political cycle. North Carolina is uh, considered a, a pivotal state, maybe not quite as much so in the presidential race, but in the race to determine who has control of the United States Senate, the Tillis seat is very, very important. That race has tightened up. Uh, Cal Cunningham's uh, exposure due to his uh, admitted affair um, uh, has tightened that race. What are you seeing in that race and what uh, do you see might change during the next uh, uh, period of time between now and the election day? Well, you're absolutely correct. It is uh, a campaign of national importance because it could determine which party has um, power in the in the United States Senate. Both campaigns, interesting enough, Don, have had self-inflicted wounds. Uh, Senator Tillis attended the uh, Amy Barrett uh, announcement, or her appointment to the uh, nomination to the United States Senate for appointment to the United States Supreme Court, which was a super spreader event at the White House. And he ended up with COVID-19. He's fully recovered on the men, thank the good Lord, and he's back healthy. And all at the same time, you had um, Cal Cunningham basically announced there was a story that broke from national file. And then the state news organization started filing stories late Two weeks ago, Friday night, uh, Cunningham admitted that he'd had an inappropriate relationship with a woman who was not his wife and um, has done very little to stop the spread of that story. Uh, he did do one mea culpa um, on a Zoom meeting, but has not availed himself extensively to the news media. He did do a news conference where he was asked for on four different occasions if there were additional women, then a story came out this week, again from National Files, saying, uh, making the allegation that there was a second woman uh, who had been engaged in a relationship with Cunningham. So those are self-inflicted wounds. And uh, Tillis has been able to capitalize in particular on the infidelity story. Uh, throughout August and September, Tillis was anywhere from three, four, some polls had him down as much as six points. The CBS poll had him down 10 points. So in a margin of basically 14 days, uh, Tillis has, has closed the gap. The uh, latest East Carolina poll actually had him up one point. So I think the race is just a dead heat at this point in time, um, and it's all about turnout. And whether or not, I think uh, an interesting demographic that you're going to have to follow is uh, what are the suburban moms in the wraparound counties in the major markets doing in Union County, Cabarrus County, Rowan, Iredale, Gaston, Alamance, Davidson County, and the Greensboro-Winston market, and, and Rockingham County, and then Johnston, Harnett, Lee, Franklin, Granville, Cumberland, and the Raleigh-Durham-Fayetteville television markets. And does the inappropriate relationship that Cunningham admitted to impact female voters. And 
we have not seen that at this point in time in the polling data. Public policy polling put out, Tom Jensen put out a poll saying um, they ask an open-ended question and, and multiple times they had responses from women voters saying that was that scandal was between uh, Cal and his wife, not necessarily for public consumption. So if women voters are forgiving, that may be beneficial for Cal. Clearly, the, Tom Tillis has been able to close the gap over the last 14 days with just a withering assault on television and every television market across the state. The appointment of a Supreme Court justice uh, and the timing of it, uh, it seems that uh, from what I've read that the public feels like as a whole that this should be put off to after the election. On the other hand, it has proceeded and uh, it would appear that that, uh, that uh, appointment is going to be confirmed before the election. Uh, at least that's my observation of it. Uh, is that going to be an issue in the election, even though people have uh, apparently strong feelings about it? But is it changing anyone's uh, attitude on how they're going to vote? Well, I think that it energizes both bases of, of the re conservative Republicans and then your progressive Democrats. The bitter taste that the Democrats have is the Garland uh, Merrick nomination that President Obama made in February of 2016 following the death of uh, Judge Scalia. And the fact that Mitch McConnell said we will not have a nomination process during the presidential election, the Democrats didn't like that then and accepted it. But now you have Ruth Bader Ginsburg die, and all of a sudden the Republicans have changed their course and their tune. And that's the, the, the concern of the hypocrisy in the power play that you're seeing with Republicans. They do have the power. They have the ability to do it. They've got the votes to do it, and they're going to do it. And I think that's the, the distasteful element that the Democrats are concerned about. It will tilt the flavor of the court, the direction of the court, the demeanor of the court, probably not for just a few years, but for possibly one, two generations that the conservatives will have control of the United States Supreme Court. What that brings into question is um, the legality of abortions and uh, Ms. Barrett said that she did not see Roe v. Wade as a super president and what impact that will have on a woman's choice to have uh, health care for her pregnancy and whether or not she's able to terminate her pregnancy. And then the other real big issue, I think, that, that's concerning folks is marriage equality when it comes to the Supreme Court and conservatives controlling it. And are they willing to revisit that and what impact that has on the thousands and thousands of uh, LGBT couples who are legally married in the United States at this point in time. So it has deep implications on two critical issues that, that tear and that build the social fabric of our country. One of the interviews I saw on uh, cable television after the debate was, uh, was an issue that I, I, quite frankly, I had thought about. And that was, it would seem to me that, uh, Trump would have been better off putting this uh, nomination off to after the election because then he could say how important it was for him to be reelected if you want a, a conservative uh, court. And uh, there was actually one person who said that uh, now that that issue was out of the way, uh, he was moving from um, 
from support of Trump to Biden. Right. Uh, Simply because of the president's uh, demeanor. Uh, I've seen focus group after focus group where Republicans and independents in particular, and, and what I call your old Reagan Democrats here in North Carolina, generally like the policies that the, the president has advocated, a, a strong economy, uh, deregulation, uh, opening up our economy, competing on an equal level with China, but they really have a disdain for his New York antics of, I'm, if you punch me, I'm going to punch you back harder and faster. And um, some of the chutzpah that the president shows isn't necessarily uh, very well respected with people who want more presidential behavior out of, out of Donald Trump. I don't know if it's there. I don't know if he's got it in him. I will say Thursday night, he did a whole lot better job of being restrained and playing by the rules, unlike the first presidential debate, which was almost unwatchable. You could sit there and glisten and glean from the candidates some of their major positions and, and, and policies. The presidential the, the presidential impact of appointing is very critical and timely. Our guest is Brad Crone, and we'll be back with another segment. And in the next segment, we're going to look at the uh, congressional districts in North Carolina and how those, some of those races are tightening up. And also, we may take a look again at the Council of State positions. Uh, our guest is Brad Crone, and as I said, we will return with him right after we take time out for these messages. To some people, the sound of a baby babbling doesn't mean much. But that's not necessarily true. By six months, they're combining vowels and consonants. By nine months, they're trying out different kinds of sounds. And by 12 months, their babbling is beginning to take on some meaning especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Early screening and intervention can make a lifetime of difference and unlock a world of possibilities. Take the first step at AutismSpeaks.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Bad Crone, and uh, he is the president of Campaign Connections, a frequent guest on our program. He's also a frequent guest on Tom Campbell's North Carolina Spin, a program that uh, is uh, a regular feature of UNC TV. Uh, a, a very interesting program, I might add, because it usually brings together two people who are more conservative in their political thoughts and two who are more liberal in their thoughts, and they talk about the issues in a very civil form. And I've, I've always admired that program and think it is a great way to get the issues out on the table. 
Uh, Brad, uh, uh, thank you again for your participation on our program and also for your observations. Let's let's turn and look at the North Carolina congressional districts. Of course, we have had a redistricting which changes the uh, uh, the count to begin with because now they're more Democratic leaning uh, by at least registrations uh, districts in North Carolina. Uh, we've had a what a ten to three count uh, Dem- uh, Republicans to Democrats. That's going to change. Yes, uh, change uh, significantly. We're going to add at least two women Democrats into the fold in North Carolina Congressional District 2, uh, Congressman George Holding uh, from the Holding family out of Johnston County, uh, former United States District Attorney for the Eastern District uh, and had former staffer for Senator Helms. Uh, is stepping down after six years in Congress. His district was redistricted to include most of Wake County, and it is a heavily uh, Democratic performing district, probably a Democrat plus seven or eight margin. So Deborah Ross, a former member, long-term member of the General Assembly, I think she served five terms in the State House representing Wake County, former head of the American Civil Liberties Union, is going to be, she ran for uh, United States Senate in 2016 and filed for election in the United States House. She is the favored winner, uh, projected predicted winner, just based on voter performance out of Wake County and is likely to serve in the United States House. The other uh, Democrat that we'll be adding is in the Greensboro area in North Carolina House District 6, which is represented by Mark Walker. He served, he's a um, Baptist minister, I believe, ordained minister, and has served three terms in the United States House, uh, representing uh, Guilford County that stretches all the way over to uh, some parts of Forsyth County, down into Davidson, and I believe it goes all the way up into uh, Rockingham County some. So, um, that changed. Kathy Manning is the Democratic nominee there, probably the likely winner. That district went from a plus three Republican to a plus five Democrat that now stretches through most of Guilford County over into eastern Forsyth County. And Kathy Manning uh, ran for Congress two years ago, was defeated, and is running again. She's a very prominent and successful trial attorney, plaintiff's attorney. She and her husband have had a successful practice. Um, She is a Jewish and has received a lot of support from the Jewish community, not only across North Carolina, but nationally. And um, both Deborah Ross and Kathy Manning, I would say are centrist to progressive Democrats. Um, And uh, they're, Campaigns for the House, uh, Don, have focused primarily on what I call table, uh, kitchen table issues, uh, dealing with the coronavirus, but also dealing with economic relief, tax relief for working families, access to quality, affordable health care. They've been the, the center point. The other two elections that I think people in North Carolina need to pay attention to North Carolina House District 8, where long-term Congressman Richard Hudson is in a battle for his life against former state Supreme Court Justice Patricia Timmons Goodson. And that race is absolutely just a barn burner. 
And that's why you've seen uh, the Republicans really focus on turnout. That's why you've seen the president go into uh, central North Carolina. That's why you saw the president go into uh, Robeson County over the weekend Saturday with a rally down there, really trying to gin up Republican support and, and help. Vice President Pence has been into the district. Um, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have both been into the district as well. So Fayetteville, Cumberland County, the 8th Congressional District is absolutely knuckle-to-knuckle, hand-to-hand combat between the two parties on turning out the vote. And based on presidential performance, does Richard, is he able to hold on? And both of them have absolutely impeccable records of public service. I've known uh, Justice Timmons Goodson all the way back to early 2000s, and just a a great lady, a great jurist, a very, very smart, capable attorney. And if she wins, if she upsets Richard, I'm sure she will do a very good job in the United States House as well. But that's a race we'll be watching not only election night, but probably Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as they get the mail-in ballots counted. That's how close the race is going to be. It could be a 10,000 uh, 15,000 vote differentiation in that congressional race. And the last race I'm watching in North Carolina on the congressional front is North Carolina House District 11, where you have retired Air Force Colonel Mo Davis, Morris Davis, the Democrat in Asheville, running against Madison Cawthorn, a 25 year old uh, first time candidate Republican running from Henderson in Hendersonville. Uh, Mr. Cawthorn has a really interesting story. Uh, Don, he uh, was ex- appointed by Mark Meadows to go to the uh, United States Army C- Academy at West Point and ended up in an automobile accident and was paralyzed from the waist down when he was 18 years old. So he had to suspend his military career. He went to school and started in business and real estate development there in Henderson and mounted a campaign sort of that came out of nowhere built a strong grassroots organization, got a lot of support from Grassroots North Carolina and the NRA and small businesses and Republican organizations across the district. He's very photogenic, uh, very smart, articulate, and he's running in a congressional district that is probably R plus two, R plus three uh, since redistricting. It is competitive. Mo Davis is running Uh, a campaign basically saying that Madison does not have the experience or the maturity yet to serve in the United States House. And uh, they've had major issues over coronavirus and how you handle that, as well as healthcare policies. I think it's going to be, I think that race is another hand-to-hand combat type congressional campaign in North Carolina. And that's one we need to watch on election night and as we move forward. Uh, it's a true toss-up. North Carolina House District 8, a, two, a true toss-up. Both of them run an extensive radio campaigns, television campaigns, direct mail. Uh, the Republicans are out actively doing door-to-door. And interesting enough, Don, the Democrats have actually been doing door-to-door campaigns as well. So uh, those are the congressional races that I'm paying attention to. Everybody else looks pretty safe. G.K. Butterfield, David Price, um, Ted Budd up in uh, Davie County's looking pretty safe. So uh, I don't think there'll be any other surprises than the North Carolina 8 and North Carolina 11. Both of them are toss-up races. 
We have not talked about the race for lieutenant governor because in North Carolina, of course, that is not part of a, a, a slate where the governor and the lieutenant governor run uh, as a team as in the presidential election. So uh, what are you seeing there? Well, it, that is the most important council of state race in the state this year, simply because the balance of power within the North Carolina Senate could end up in a situation where we have 25 Democrats and 25 Republicans. So the, it will be the first time since Bob Jordan was Lieutenant Governor, which was 1985, I reckon, um, that the Lieutenant Governor may actually end up having power. So that race is between Mark Robinson, a Greensboro Republican, who is getting a lot of support from the gun advocates, Second Amendment folks across the state, Republican grassroots, against Yvonne Lewis Holly. And Yvonne worked in uh, the Department of Administration, retired, and has served in the General Assembly for the last uh, eight years, I believe, representing uh, Central Raleigh from uh, Newburn Avenue all the way up to Capitol Boulevard. And Yvonne comes from a very prominent African-American family in North Carolina. Her father, J.D. Lewis, was hired by Mr. Fletcher at Capital Broadcasting and was the first African-American broadcaster on the air when uh, WRAL television went on the air in the early 1960s. So they have a uh, very long history of working in civil rights and with minority affair issues in North Carolina, very prominent. So that race is within the margin, too, and it's going to be extremely close. And who wins is going to be important for North Carolina. We touched briefly on the gubernatorial race. That one seems to have some separation. And uh, it appears that uh, at this point in time that uh, the uh, challenger has uh, uh, some, uh, some ground to gain if he's going to make that race competitive. Absolutely, Don. The big issue there in the governor's race has been money and the fact that Governor Cooper has just overwhelmed uh, the airwaves, broadcast, radio, television, cable, direct mail. He's been all over the place. I think I saw a report the other day he spent almost $20 million on television compared to about $3 million that Dan Forrest has been able to run. And the key issue there, the big differentiator has been how uh, Governor Cooper has handled uh, COVID-19 response and uh, the, the flagrant um, policies that the lieutenant governor has, has done in his campaign rallies of not wearing a mask, not practicing social distancing. And those are really concerns for unaffiliated independent voters in the state. And they represent almost, you know, 28, 29 percent of all the votes cast. So clearly the money advantage and Corona-19 have had an impact there. Well, uh, we've kind of covered everything, and I'm looking forward to the final segment, which is coming up after this break. And during that time, I want to sort of refocus on the national situation as far as those key states of Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and so forth, and, and look at uh, how you're forecasting the electoral college vote might turn out, as well as uh, uh, a prediction overall on how North Carolina's races will turn out. We're going to put you on the spot. Our guest is Brad Crone. He's the president of Campaign Connections, and we'll be back with that final segment right after these messages. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today, I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is 
totes. It's exactly like saying totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. I'm a 40-year-old man that walked in there to get his high school diploma. It was very hard for me, but Ms. Araceli, she gave me direction. At age 47, Marco finished his high school diploma. 50% of getting your high school diploma is walking through those doors. The other 50% is doing the work. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Our final segment of Carolina Newsmakers here as we are during the countdown period to election 2020. A very interesting rate. We've had a lot of fun listening to the comments of Brad Crone, who's our guest, uh, because uh, Brad is a keen observer of North Carolina politics. He has been in the business of, uh, uh, after he lost his his way, at one time he was a journalist and, and uh, worked at WPTF, and then he lost his way and became a political strategist. And we've commented on that. I'm working my way back. I'm working my way back. Well, that's, that's showing that everyone can return to their roots. Absolutely. Uh, We've got uh, an interesting situation, as you pointed out earlier. The popular vote in the United States really uh, is of interest. But remember, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote last time. So it's the Electoral College, state by state, that uh, determines who will win the presidential uh, uh, race. And uh, the key states this year are those uh, uh, top three Rust Bay states, Pennsylvania, of course, is a key, Wisconsin, Michigan. And then you've got another round of states that are sort of possible toss-ups, North Carolina, Florida, Arizona, and uh, maybe one or two others. But uh, those are the key ones. So how do you see the Electoral College vote going at this point in time, and what would be your prediction of how it might turn out? Well, I've been following real clear politics that are tracking all the public polls that are out there from the major news organizations. And uh, the president and and Biden are virtually in a dead heat in Ohio. The uh, vice president, Biden, has a a three, four-point advantage in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. In Michigan and Wisconsin, which were neglected by the Hillary Clinton campaign, the Democrats made the decision, not the Democrats made the decision, Don, that they're not going to make that mistake again. So they focused a lot of time and energy right after the convention. Vice President Biden made uh, tours through both Wisconsin and Michigan and made repeated trips. And those states are looking like uh, that Biden is having a, a, an advantage that's getting outside the margin of error, four and a half points, five point advantages in both Wisconsin and in um, Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. The other interesting state that the president has made an effort to, to cut ground into has been Minnesota. The other battleground state is Iowa. And uh, Iowa went for Trump 
a couple years in, in 2016. It is a true battleground right now. Huge uh, United States Senate race there with Joni Erst absolutely fighting for her life against Teresa Greenfield, a Democratic challenger. And Democrats are feeling very optimistic about Iowa. Another interesting battleground is in uh, Arizona. And Democrats really believe that they've got an opportunity to pick up Arizona. And Florida, another battleground state, there have been polls that show Trump up there, two points, three points. There were recent polls this past week showing Biden in a dead heat. I think Florida is going to come down it's just clearly to turn out uh, and how the I-4 corridor performs uh, from Orlando all the way uh, over to Jackson and uh, then back down into Pensacola into uh, Tampa as well. So now, I've, been, I've been told regarding Florida that if uh, Trump does not win Florida, the race is probably all is over because that uh, is one state that he abs- absolutely has to win. Right, right. And, and, and North Carolina, too. If he loses North Carolina, he, he really doesn't have a path. And I would not call the race in North Carolina, and I don't think we'll be able to call the race in North Carolina until Thursday or Friday. And let me go through that. You, on election night, you're going to see the early vote numbers come in. And the early vote numbers are probably going to represent as close, probably 50% of your total votes cast. 20 to 25% of your votes being cast are going to be absentee mail-in ballots. In North Carolina, the election officials aren't allowed to tabulate those votes prior to uh, election day. So they're held in bins. They'll be opened on election morning, on the morning of election day, and then they'll begin the tabulation process. But for counties like Mecklenburg County and, and Wake County and Cumberland County, Guilford, Forsyth, and metropolitan counties, you're going to have 300,000 ballots to count. So the high-speed scanner tabulators that they have are going to be working full-time. So it may actually take uh, a day to two days for them to tabulate all the absentee mail-in ballots. And that means the reporting cycle on this election, while we'll all be doing election results on Tuesday night, it's really going to be interesting to see how they trickle in on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I think North Carolina still has the ability to count absentee ballots that are postmarked that that can come in two or three days after the election day. And those votes will be uh, tabulated and reported as well. So, you know, we may not know who wins North Carolina until uh, Saturday or Sunday or Monday after the election here in North Carolina. They do have the state board will have to certify the elections, I believe, on the 17th of November, two weeks after election day. So hopefully we'll have some type of, of in ballot at that point in time. Um, but you got several. The, the, the other interesting thing that we hadn't talked about, Don, is the state legislative races and both the state Senate and the state House are in play. The, pow- the, the reins of power are up for grabs in both chambers. You've got a state Senate that could go either way, and you've got a state House that could go either way. We know that the Republicans have maintained power in the state of North Carolina at the state legislative level since the 2010 election. This election with court-mandated redistricting has made uh, control of the General Assembly up for grabs. There are a couple of races in the state Senate that will be key 
North Carolina Senate District 1 and, and Northeastern North Carolina, uh, Bob Steinberg against Tess Judge. And uh, that's from Dare County all the way over to Pasco Tank, Perquimans, Camden, Currituck County, the northeast corner of the state. And the other really interesting race that folks are tracking is Senate District 24 in Alamance County. It's an open seat. Former Senator Rick Gunn uh, retiring from his seat there. Amy Gailey is the chairperson of the Alamance County Commission. She's a Republican running for election to the Senate. J.D. Wooten is the Democrat. He ran two years ago. It very extreme hand-to-hand, -hand, just hard-fought, knock-em-out contest. I bet there have been 100 pieces of mail delivered to voters in that district between the candidates and all the different independent expenditure groups invested in that campaign. The interesting dynamic going on in Alamance County is this. You've got bedroom communities in Mebbin and a bedroom community in Elon College. Both serve in Greenville and then Research Triangle Park, respectively. So you had a lot of new people move into Alamance County, and that's definitely put it in play. And then the last race that people are watching is the Joyce Kaywick seat over in Forsyth County, and whether or not she'll be able to hold on to power. But Don, we could end up in a situation where you have a 25-25 Senate, and that's why your lieutenant governor is going to be so important in the, the state council state races. On the state house side, uh, Tim Moore, same situation. It's going to be uh, really, really close. You could have a 60-60 split in the state house as well, or 61-59 either way. Well, it's going to be an interesting period of time. I think we probably will have some notions of how these races are going to come out on election night. But uh, we, as you said, it probably will be a little bit later. Brad, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Uh, helps us all kind of understand what the situation is and what's at stake. Brad Crone, the president of Campaign Connections. Our program is produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another guest for us next week. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear just that. So until next week, same time, same station. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.